Well, as we head into the Christmas season, we're going to hit pause on our Luke series and dig into an Old Testament passage that highlights the reason we make so much of Jesus. In a month that's filled with gift giving, I want to show you how 2,700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah made some incredible declarations about the most wonderful gift that's ever been given. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, it's big, it's towards the middle, you can find it. Isaiah chapter 9. And you follow along as I begin reading in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has shined a light. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Did you see the gift right there in verse 6? A child is born, a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Today I want us to just look at one of these extraordinary names, Wonderful Counselor. In the original language, it's Pele Yoetz, a wonder of counsel or wisdom. A wonder of wisdom. And so here's the question I want us to answer today. Why did God think that he needed to send us, send us a wonder of wisdom embodied in his son, Jesus? In other words, why did God think that we needed wisdom personified and brought down to us. Why? Unto us a child is born. He took on flesh and became fully human. Unto us a son is given. He set aside his rights and privileges and left the glories of heaven to step down. And it was a big step down, you guys, down into our dark, sin-cursed world. Why? Why? Well, here's the first thing I want you to see today. Number one, the birth of Jesus confronts the absolute failure of our own wisdom. The birth of Jesus confronts the absolute failure of our own wisdom. But our world has never taken offense at Christmas or the birth of Jesus the way it does the cross and his resurrection. Have you ever noticed that? They don't take offense at Christmas like they do the the cross and resurrection. In fact, I think it's interesting how the world, to some degree, has always embraced Christmas in a way that it's never embraced Good Friday or Easter. And I think it's because when the world looks at that little baby in the manger, 
you know, I've got my first grandchild now. I mean, there's just, how scary is a baby, right? And they're just so precious. When the world looks at that little baby in a manger, and when they hear the angel chorus, peace, good will towards men, they say, I'm okay with that. That all sounds very affirming and comforting. Because a little baby is not threatening. But if you think about it, and you should, the birth of Jesus actually confronts. Christmas is confrontational. Christmas exposes us. Christmas does not say great things about us. It says great things about God. The birth of Jesus actually confronts the failure of our own wisdom and resources to solve our biggest problem. God took on flesh and stepped down into our world because our own wisdom and our own power could never penetrate the level of darkness that is in our world or conquer the depth of darkness that is in our own hearts. Hope you realize the problem is not out there somewhere in the world with really bad people. The problem is right here within the heart of every one of us. We could never conquer the darkness of our own hearts. That's why Isaiah says in verse 2, look at it again. The people who walked in darkness. Not talking about some people 2,700 years ago. It's talking about humanity on earth. Us. The people who walked in darkness. We're in it. Have seen a great light. God had to send a light in his son. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. On them a light has shined. Christmas is the humbling reminder every year. We never never go more than 365 days without a reminder again. Every year of just how much we need God. And cannot solve our problems on our own. And in in a December of 2020... Don't you feel it even more? Do you feel like as we wrap up a year, you're like, I'm more hopeful in humanity. I'm more hopeful in the answers we're coming up with. I'm more hopeful in committees and subcommittees and men and women. They're looking better and better and better. I trust them. Nobody lies to me. Nobody disappoints me. No one fails me. And we all just get along and just sing. You know, I just have hope for one world, one peace this year more than ever. No, God, help us. Oh, God, help us. And Christmas is the resounding answer. I have. I'm in it with you. I have done something about this. And would you please look to me instead of all these other places? Praise God for God in flesh with us. If you've gone to our church for a while, then most of you know that Vicki and I have five children who are now all grown up and out of the house. One great thing about 2020 is my last two left the home. (gasps) Love them, but I'm 57. I'm ready to have my home with my stuff where I left it. No one moves it. Oh, it's so sweet. They're all grown up and out of the home now, but oh my goodness, oh, you can imagine for a decade or so, our two-story house was rocking with activity and noise because of little people. Little people, it's shocking, isn't it? Little people can be really loud. No, they're little, but you get a bunch of them going, oh my word, little people can be really Really loud. And so if you know anything about children, then you can imagine. You can only imagine what it sounded like. What it sounded like and what was going on downstairs when they were supposed to be playing together. Because here's a little secret. I hope this doesn't shock 
you. Our children that were birthed by the amazing Vicki Bigney. I mean, she just is right up there under the Virgin Mary, right? Just, and she was training them and teaching them in her lovely, amazing, gracious, merciful way. Our children would quarrel and fight and, yea, verily, bicker incessantly. And the sound of it could just drive you crazy. You just want it to stop. Make it stop. Make it stop. But here's what I think is so interesting. I know it's not just us. I see it with other parents. Here's what I think is so interesting. We desperately want it to stop. But we want it to stop with minimal involvement from us. You ever notice that? I mean, we act like we want it to stop real bad, but not bad enough to move. Don't, I don't want to move. Right? With minimal involvement from us, I want it to stop. And so what that means is we yell super helpful things from right where we are. Like, oh, this is amazing. Stop it! Share the... You're going to want to write these things down if you're a new parent. Share the toy. And here's one we used all the time. Work it out. Work it out. Work it out. Because we had taught them. We'd role played, you know, sharing and asking forgiveness. And so now just do what we've taught you. Work it out. And if that didn't work, which it never did, we ramp it up from advice to threats. Threats with an all-time parent favorite. You're going to want to get this one down. Don't make me come down there. Oh, if I have to come down there, you're going to be so sorry. You don't know what sorry looks like. Do you hear me? Don't make me come down there. As if like down there is 100 miles away. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to get up and actually go down there. Imagine that. I don't have the strength for it. And then come back up. Don't make me go down there. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? And you just hear a little snickering. It's like, like, yeah, you're so stupid. The fact that you won't come down here means it's never going to get resolved. We know how this works. But, oh, there's a level three. When that doesn't work, and it doesn't, we will get up. To go to the top of the stairs. That's it. To raise the volume and scream the threats louder. But we do not want to go down and get in the middle of their mess and be with them in it. I don't want to be inconvenienced and have to get in the middle of your mess and be a part of the peace making process. We just want to send down advice or shout threats from a distance. But it doesn't work. Listen to me. That's what Christmas and the incarnation of Jesus are all about. Eventually, my word has to become flesh and go down to be with them because they cannot fix it themselves. They need a loving, patient, wise, good, self-sacrificing father to be with them in it. And that's what God Say, thank you, Jesus. Say, God is good. God is good all the time. That's what he's done for us. He didn't send advice. He didn't shout threats from a distance. God came down to be with us in his son, Jesus. That's why it's not happy holidays. It's merry Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Because the level of darkness and depravity 
and deception that surrounds us and indwells us could never have been solved by us on our own. Never. And here's what's, here's what's startling. And yet, what God did for us. What God did for us looks like foolishness to us. Because it doesn't match what we think it should look like. It doesn't match what we would have done and how we would have done it. It doesn't fit with our own human reasoning. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Turn to the New Testament now. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What God has done for us looks like foolishness to us. Because we expect the solution to match what we would think. And how we would have done it. And what it would look like. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, this is God speaking, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, he's the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Skip to verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Now look what he is for us. It's not just what he does for us, you guys. It's who he is for us. If you're a Christian, this is who he is for you. And these are things you could not be on your own. But he is this for you as he stands before God the Father. Holy, holy, holy. Who became to us wisdom. From God. (gasps) Righteousness. You don't have righteousness and you could never get it by trying to keep the law. He's your righteousness. And sanctification. That's the process of changing. Changing to become less like you and more like him. And redemption. That means to be bought back from being a slave to sin. He did all this. So that as it is written. Here's where this should lead. As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We have nothing to boast about. Nothing. And everything to celebrate. And everything to praise God for. And everything that should cause us to be oh so thankful regardless of temporal circumstances. This is what God the Father did for us in his son. And this is who Jesus is right now. Day and night for you. He became for you wisdom from God. Righteousness, sanctification and redemption So that on your worst day, you can say, oh, my goodness, but I boast and I'm thankful in what you've done for me. Oh, God. Christmas, Christmas, the birth of Jesus confronts the absolute failure of our own wisdom and resources to solve our problem. We need God. We need God more than ever, more than ever, more than ever. But here's what happens. I hope you realize I'm not, you know, I read, try to read 40, 50 books a year. I'm not a fan of being stupid and ignorant. But I hope you know our own intelligence will never get us 
to the places we need to be. Intelligence alone will not change your life. I hope you realize IQ or intelligence has nothing to do with wisdom. We want wisdom. We need wisdom. And sometimes even gets in the way. Do you realize sometimes intelligence and IQ actually gets in the way? Which is why Garrison Keller said, intelligence is like four-wheel drive. It only allows you to get stuck in more remote places. That is so true. Because of my brain power, I can go a little further out than you. But I'm going to get stuck eventually. Eventually, you will get stuck. You just got stuck further out. Some of the most intelligent people. I'll often say to Vicky, I'm thankful. Vicky and I both were average. We scored like average on ACT and all that business. Never going to get a scholarship. But we could both work hard, work our tails off and make A's. But we were average, average. Average is not bad. Because you tend to then realize, I need someone else. I need something else. I cannot do this on my own. Some of the most intelligent people struggle the most to come to faith in Christ. Because just like people with money, they don't think they need God. Here's two of the biggest things that gets in the way. Brain power and dollar power. I got enough money, I can pad my life with conveniences, and I will get to that point of satisfaction and pleasure and the good life. I've got enough brain power that I can think it and reason it and understand it on my own. Brain power and money power will both, hear me, fail you. Because neither one can give you real wisdom. Money can add all kinds of conveniences to your life, no doubt, and pat it. And brain power can accumulate tons of more knowledge. And you may have a photographic memory and you can remember tons of what you are reading and discovering. But listen to me, real wisdom is found in a person. Say his name. Say it louder. Jesus, Jesus. And yet we live in this day of, of amazing levels of information, right? Technology. You would think we'd be way ahead of 100 years ago. Things look like they're getting worse, don't they? Don't they look like they're getting more chaotic and more conflict-oriented and more hopeless and more confusing? And yet we have more access to information and technology than ever before. It has not led us to a better place. I stumbled across it this week as I was studying. I was like, oh my goodness. T.S. Eliot said something in 1921. This sounds like he wrote it last week. 1921, you guys. There were no smartphones. There was no internet. There was no YouTube videos. I read that there's 400 new YouTube videos being loaded online every minute of every day. That's a lot of little silly kitten videos to watch, isn't it? 400 new YouTube videos being loaded every day. He said this. The vast accumulation of knowledge, or at least information, is responsible for an equally vast ignorance. Like, how can that be? Oh, listen to what he says. It's so true. When everyone knows a little about a great many things, it becomes increasingly difficult for anyone to know whether he knows what he's talking about or not. And when we do not know or do not know enough, we tend to substitute emotions for thoughts. Mike dropped T.S. Eliot. Oh, my goodness. That's what you see. Everybody is an expert at their keyboard because they know a little about a great many things. And it's not led us to a better place. People don't listen or think carefully. They don't examine original sources. They don't check to see, is this true? Oh, I read it on the internet. Are you an idiot? There's all kinds of stuff on the internet that's not true. And so when everyone knows a little 
about a great many things. When we don't know or don't know enough, we substitute emotions for thoughts. Oh, With hundreds of 24-hour cable channels, YouTube videos, podcasts, and unlimited access to the Internet. It has only created in our day an information overload that has caused people to shift from thinking to emoting. To emoting. Just sound bites. We're We're in a world of sound bites. Just sound bites and emoting. Everyone knows just enough to create a snarky tweet or a clever Instagram message with some picture spinning behind it. I'm always just shocked and disheartened when someone reaches out to me through Twitter and they'll ask me some question that I I need five pages to answer this and I'm supposed to answer in 140 characters. And it just shows the thinking today. I can't answer that in a tweet. And I'll have to write them back private messages and say, please email me at bradbigney.com so I can answer you. And, and 98% of the time, silence. They don't do it. They thought I should be able to answer that question in 140, not words, characters. Are you crazy? But that's the world we live in. Sound bites, sound bites, sound bites, sound bites. So despite all the technology We actually need God more than ever today. Today. And so how I thank God that this year, as rocky of a ride as it's been, has us again celebrating what God has done for us. Everything that's happened this year doesn't change that, doesn't thwart that, doesn't diminish that, doesn't limit that. The Christmas message, incarnation, is just as powerful, full strength, as it was any other year. Praise God. Let me give you another reason why we need this wonder of wisdom that's found in Jesus. Number two, here's why. Because the words of Jesus often contradict and even offend us. I should tell you something. We tend to want to pull away from anyone who contradicts or offends us. But you ought to think, could it be that I don't know what I need to know? Could I learn from this? Could this help me get to a better place? Could this help me sort out deception, half-truths, lies? You ever notice when you look at the life of Jesus or you read the words of Jesus? Just go through the Gospels. Folks, the world chooses to look at the baby in the manger and hear that angel chorus and be comforted. If you read the four Gospels, you will regularly find yourself saying, oh my goodness, and it's Jesus you're looking at. It's Jesus you're listening to. I would never have expected him to say that. I would, it's not what I think. It's not what I think. It's not what I think. It's not my first thought. Like when he says, for God so loved the world. And here it is again with a month of gift giving. That he say it. He didn't send advice. He didn't shout threats. This holy, holy God. Who could have rightfully banished us all to hell. Say the word. He gave. Something extra on the side. Here's an angel that I don't use very often. Take him. Gave. Oh, I've got a dozen sons. Here's my least favorite. Gave his only begotten Son, so that just certain people who are at least doing decent, I'm not going to do this for wretched people, no, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Folks, that is startling unexpected and contradictory to what we think because it's not like any other religion. And we are oriented towards religion, 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 because religion keeps us in the driver's seat. Religion is about a list. Religion is about a set of boxes to check. Religion is what God might sort of do, but then what we do that 
the equation says, boom, done. It's him and us. It's him and us. It's him and us. So this is startling and unexpected and contradictory to the way we think. Because God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. And he doesn't tell us what to do. He tells us what he has done. So that salvation now is by faith and not works. But there's a challenge. It rubs us the wrong way. We don't actually like that. It rubs us the wrong way because it makes us too dependent on God. It makes it sound like, are we really that helpless? Are we that pathetic? Are we that bad? Answer, yes and more. Yes and more. When we don't hear something that matches our first thought, our first temptation is to reject it and push away and say that can't be right. But Jesus, as the wonder of wisdom, is going to say some things that startle you and are unexpected and contradict your own way of thinking. Like when he says in John 14, 6, I am the way. The truth, the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Our only problem with that wonderful declaration, right? As human beings on a human level, is the definite article he chose to use three times. The. If just he'd said a way, right? Our world world would embrace that. Okay, he can be a way. There's lots of ways. He can be some truth. He can offer some life. He didn't say that. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And they killed him. Nothing new under the sun. They didn't like it then. And they even hate it more today. Because that sounds so intolerant, right? You, you got to be tolerant. You got you to play nice. You got to say, sure, all these other things are ways. You're just one of the ways. In a world that's pluralistic and syncretistic and filled with options, you've got to say, I'm always, I'm part of the truth. I'll point you to life. He didn't. The way, the truth, the life. And then to cap it off, in case you didn't get it, how many people are going to get to the Father apart from him? No one comes to the Father. And they're like, I'm sure people in the crowd said, oh, 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 just tone it down. Tone it down. Folks, nothing was different. We have, it, we have this dangerous tendency to think, oh, back then that must have been okay. It was not okay. People are people are people, whether they're riding in chariots or driving a Lexus. They did not like it anymore in that day. There was all kinds of gods, all kinds of, that's what got the Christians persecuted that they kept saying, Jesus is God, the only God. And as bad as we have it in our country, at least the president had, has not yet said he's God. In their day, Caesar had declared, I am God. So there can't be another God. That would get you killed. Let me show you one more reason that Jesus is called the wonder of wisdom. It's because number three, all the rest you long for can only be found by rejecting your own wisdom and submitting to him. That rest that you long for, it's only going to be found by rejecting your own wisdom and submitting to him. Turn with me to the gospel of Matthew. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to show you a passage that you've heard me many times quote. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. I want you to see it in context today. Matthew chapter 11. You follow along as I begin reading in verse 25. Matthew eleven twenty-five. At that time, Jesus declared. He prays out loud in front of the crowd. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. 
Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. He's not talking about actual children of age. He's talking about when you think you're so wise and I know what I know and you need to convince me it's got to match what I think versus a childlike heart. I don't know all I need to know. I don't have all power. I don't have all wisdom. Tell me. Because in this chapter, John, by now, John the Baptist is in prison and he sent word to Jesus and said, are you the one we've been looking for and waiting for or should we look for another? Matthew 11 and 12 are all about Jesus is who he says he is and he's come to do what the Bible's promised. You gotta decide, will you believe it or not? Will you submit or not? Same struggle that people have today. And so he's saying, oh God, I thank you. I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me. Well, that sounds a little intolerant also. By my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then He says, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, say it, rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find, say it again, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, especially this year, in any year, but especially this year, we have felt the deep, soul weariness. I've not just been physically tired. I've been tired on a whole new level, deep within, emotionally, soul weariness. We've all felt it this year that comes from living in a fallen, broken world. And we face it and feel it in different ways and for different reasons. But we all have this one, this one thing in common, painful fact in common. We have an awareness as we feel this weariness that on our own, we don't have what we need for real joy, lasting peace, and deep rest. In the midst of a world of chaos and confusion that just keeps raging. Every time I think, it's it, oh, oh, it's going to settle down. It's going to settle down. Boom. In a world that is raging with chaos and confusion all around us, it has brought into us an awareness that we don't have anything that was giving you joy and you were unaware of it. And you didn't realize that's really what's giving me joy. It's all been exposed this year. I don't have what I need for real joy, lasting peace or deep rest in this world. And so while our symptoms may vary and the complexity of our struggles may differ... Jesus, I love this verse. Jesus gives one simple invitation and makes one universal promise to every single person. Regardless of your circumstances, your sinful past, or your confusing, chaotic present. One invitation. One universal promise. Look at it again in verse 28. Come to me. All. No one's excluded. No one's excluded. No one's in a different category. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. Universal promise. And I will give you rest. I want you to understand when we think labor, we typically think work, vocation, job place, marketplace. When he talks about labor, you guys, he's not talking about the hours that you work to put food on the table or pay bills. Because that's not actually the most exhausting thing we do in this world. Do you know that? 
He is talking about the untold hours that we spend as human beings created in his image. The untold hours that we spend both internally churning and externally projecting, trying to justify ourselves, trying to feel good about ourselves, trying to feel okay about ourselves and trying to cover up what we know is not right about ourselves. But you never feel like you're making much progress and you always feel like you're about to be exposed and found out, which only compounds the level of anxiety and fear that you live with. As human beings, we have a sense of righteousness and justice and what's right and wrong that's different than the plant and animal kingdom. And so we have this awareness, whether you want to admit it or not, and we don't know what to do. So we try to justify ourselves, feel good about ourselves. People write books back in the 60s like, I'm okay, you're okay. We're just trying to convince each other. Tell me I'm okay and I'll tell you you're okay. Why would a book like that be written? Because deep within we know we're not. 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 And when he talks about being heavy laden, he's not talking about the burden you might carry with young children or the burden you might carry with whatever, caring for a, a sick family member. When he talks about being heavy laden, he's talking about the weight of our own sin. There's nothing heavier that you carry. The weight of others who've sinned against you, as well as the weight of your own sorrows and sufferings that get piled on to you year after year after year in a fallen, broken world. But despite the complexity and diversity that might distinguish one person from another. Oh, I love the simplicity of the gospel and the simplicity of Jesus Christ. Jesus, hear me, gives one invitation and makes one universal promise. Come to me. Anyone who's ever come to him, he's never turned him away. He's never turned him away. No one's been disqualified. And I will give you rest. But to get that rest, you've got to understand what it means to come to him. If you read Matthew 11 and 12 in context, you'll see that to come to him means to believe that he is who he's saying he is. And that he can do for you what he's promising he can do. You have to believe. You have to submit. And so, as I've emphasized that glorious word rest, let me answer a question that some of you might be thinking as you heard the passage read. If he promises rest, why is he talking about taking his yoke? That sounds burdensome to me. I don't need another yoke. I got kids. I got a spouse. I got a job. I got friends that let me down. I got this messed up world. Don't add a yoke to me. It sounds like a burden. It sounds like I'm about to do work. What is he talking about? Listen to me. He is talking about a yoke exchange. Here's what you might not realize. As a human being, born into this world, a sinner, you are actually not a free man or woman. You're not free. You're not free. You already wear a yoke. You wear the yoke of your own sin. You wear it, the yoke of your own sin and suffering and sorrows. And as you do more and more of life, it gets heavier. It starts to feel tighter. It starts to rub you raw. It slows you down. And it even tempts you to turn to other things in this world to get relief. What you hope will relieve some of the constriction. And so you turn to porn or you turn to abusive alcohol or you turn to street drugs or prescription drugs or you get on the internet and just buy stuff because it makes you feel good or you eat when you're not even hungry 
But you turn to other places to get relief from the yoke that you already wear. But it only complicates your life more. And it feels tighter and tighter and tighter. He's talking about a yoke exchange. He says, I'll take your yoke of sin and sorrow and suffering. And I'll give you my yoke that is, how did he describe it? Easy and light. And that word, because we might think, uh, Christian life is not easy, my friend. That word for easy in the Greek means a good fit. It's a good fit. It's a good fit. It's a good fit. Because here's what you need to realize. They would yoke two oxen together, you guys. Not all by themselves. He's not saying, take my yoke. Be warm, be filled. Hope that works out for you. He's saying, take my yoke. Because I won't leave you. I'm asking you to yoke up with me. You've been doing life on your own with your own yoke of sin. Yoke up with me. They would take a young ox and yoke him with a seasoned, older, wise oxen. So that the young one could learn. Could learn. Could learn. Take my yoke. It's a good fit. It won't rub you raw. It won't choke you. And learn from me. And I won't be harsh. I won't jerk you around. Notice he says, for I am gentle and humble of heart. He'll treat you gently like other people in this world do not and will not. Take my yoke upon you. It means that whatever you go through from the moment you put your trust in Christ, you never go through it alone again. He goes through it with you. He said, I'll never leave you, which means now you have access to all of his wisdom, his power, his strength, his love, his grace, which is why the apostle Paul could say things like what he did in Philippians 4, 13. I can do how many things? All things through Christ who strengthens me. It's sad to me as a pastor. That is one of the most abused, jerked out of context verses we have in the Bible. It almost all only gets quoted right as we start to do the pig marathon. I'm going to do it because he's going to do it in me. Read the context. He's saying, I know to how to have a lot and I know to how to have almost nothing. Maybe this year was the almost nothing for you. So many things changed. In every circumstance, I've learned to be content I can do it with him. He can help me because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, listen to me. If you're, if you're listening online or you're here and you're not a Christian, the path of wisdom in this world begins, it begins by coming to Christ and submitting to Christ. And saying, I want to yoke up with you. I want, to yoke, I want to learn from you. I want to do life with you. I'm ready to submit and learn and rest in you. Oh, if you don't know Christ, if you're not a Christian, come to Christ. The invitation that he gave in Matthew 11, he's still giving today. Come to me. And if you're here and you're a Christian, you might be saying, honestly, Brad, I am still so burdened and exhausted. I'm tempted to question whether that Matthew 11, 28 and 29 is true or not. Why am I still so burdened? Why am I still so exhausted? Now, you might not like this, but I actually want to help you. Here's my counsel. You need more Jesus. You need to deepen your relationship with Jesus. You need to grow in your love for Jesus. Because as you grow and you know him more, here's what happens. You trust him more. And as you trust him more, you give him more. And it decreases that crushing load of life. Some of you said yes to Jesus, but here's what you've done. You're yoked to Jesus. You are a Christian. 
But it is still this exhausting, constant battle, push and pull, push and pull between you and him because you still want to lead and you want him to keep in step with you. And he's not going to do it. You think, why do I still feel so exhausted? Because you're still pulling against the yoke, trying to do, I still want to do what I used to do. I still want to think what I think. It has to make sense to me. You want more rest? You want more peace? You want more joy? Let this season we head into and next year and all the years ahead be more of you lead, Jesus. And I'll keep in step with you. Even if it's new to me, even if it's frightening to me, even if I'm like, I've never gone this way. This is not what I would have thought. This is not what I think. You need to know. I haven't signed off on this altogether. Oh my goodness. The path of peace and joy and rest is found in yoking up with Jesus and letting him lead. And say, I want to learn from you. Do you want to learn from him? Or are you still just talking all the time, telling him what he doesn't know that he should know? He said, learn from me. And I will give you rest. It'll start to feel like a good fit and it will be light. He said, it's a good fit and it's light. If it doesn't feel like a good fit and it's not light, there's nothing wrong with Jesus. Something's wrong with your Approach to the Christian life. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us a wonder of wisdom in your son. Thank you for giving us wisdom personified, not a volume of books, but a person. A humble, loving, gentle, sacrificial person. Jesus. Oh, make this new year a year of listening to him, loving him, getting to know him and following him in ways that are beyond what we've ever done before. And may it lead us to a place of rest and peace and joy. And may it cause us to want to tell other people about him. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.